0: And I never figured out why. Okay.
1: Oops, sorry. I was trying to do Alexa without <laughs> I was going to say, was that Alexa? <laughs> yeah.
0: Hello, and welcome to the third primary episode of Chaplain, Can We Talk? I'm Robert Terrell.
1: And I'm Eric Nobrega, and we are two chaplains with Corporate Chaplains of America and we chaplain for various companies, making sure that their employees are cared for in the hectic world. In this podcast, we regularly interview with our fellow chaplains and other experts concerning the big issues which we regularly see as we are doing rounds with our employees.
0: Except for this month, this month, instead of interviewing one of our fellow chaplains or an expert on a subject, I'm gonna be interviewing my co-host Eric Nobrega because unfortunately, he has a great deal of experience on the subject we're gonna talk about. So actually, I'm pretty excited about the subject we're gonna talk about, one because of the fact that it is something that I believe my employees need to hear a lot about it's It's about grief, and two. Or secondly, because unfortunately, Eric, I know you have a lot of personal experience in this. So I'm excited uh, to hear what you're going to say about the subject, because I believe you have a lot to offer to my employees and to our listeners in general. But before we we start, we need to do what we normally would do. And that is, Eric, would, would you tell everybody a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure, I am Eric Noprea. Obviously, I was born in Massachusetts. I don't know if many people. I'm in Wisconsin now, but I grew up in Lowell, Massachusetts, which is a little bit north of Boston. So I'm still a New Englander at heart. I've been at I've been in Wisconsin for a while now, but I haven't switched over to many of the things in Wisconsin, other than saying pop, which I thought I would never do. <laughs> uh, but all my sports teams are still New England based. I uh, met my wife at college here in Watertown, Wisconsin, and we've been married for 30 years. We have two daughters, Chelsea and Paige. Chelsea uh, has a daughter named Avery, so my granddaughter Avery, and um, then my youngest daughter is Paige. So, yeah, uh, we've lived in Wisconsin for about 30 years now. I've been a pastor. You know, I've done some odd jobs as well. Um, I substitute taught recently just before the chaplain gig really love that. Actually, I I like there's a part of me that just really likes working with teenagers and uh, younger people. So I kind of really miss that job a little bit now, although I still get to do that a little bit in the companies that I work with. So, yeah,
0: that's it. And Eric, if I remember right, you were substitute teaching for middle schoolers, weren't you?
1: Well, I could have done any grade, but I just preferred I actually preferred high school, but middle school as well.
0: Well, I was thinking middle school for some reason, and and you got to be a brave soul to substitute for middle schoolers.
1: Yeah. Well, elementary school, though, is tough, too, sometimes. I guess it's just how you're wired. Like the last time I did an elementary school class, it was kindergarten, and I had to teach them Duck, Duck, Goose, and it was a disaster. I could not do it. It was horrible. <laughs> so I stopped quickly.
0: Eric, as you know, we have our segment that we call Creating Space, where where one of us asks our guests the chaplain question, which is what is something that is presently giving you life that you'd like to share with someone else? Ed, you're our guest today. You're our expert. So, Eric, what is something that you are presently, presently experiencing that's giving you life and you'd like to share with others?
1: Um, for me, it's been... Um... So for probably all my life, my bro, my brother and dad were both guitar players. So I have had a guitar in my closet sitting there, and I pull it out every few years <laughs> to try to learn. And this year, with the pandemic and the quarantine, not having a lot to do at home and being st- stuck at home, I thought, you know what, I'm going to commit to this. And I thought to myself, even if I commit to it uh, ten minutes a day, I'm just going to try to learn something new, work on something. And it's been very Peaceful for me. It's been very calming in a, in a kind of unnerving time. So that's been the thing that's been giving me life as of recently.
0: Well, and one of the things I love about that is we we talked in the previous two podcasts about this question was asked of Lou, and this question was asked of Jeff, and we know we have another podcast that we've already recorded that's coming up where a, a friend of ours named Jared asked it. Everybody's kind of gone towards something physical. And you joked in the last podcast that you were going to break that that model. And yet, when you describe something that's giving you life, again, you describe something physical. And I've shared this this quote with you I, that I just love. It's from Abraham Heschel, a, a rabbi. And he says, if you work with your mind, you should Sabbath with your hands. And if you work with your hands, you should Sabbath with your mind. I, I don't know that that's, that's a, a hard, fast rule that we, we should worry about. Um, I mean, Abraham Heschel is not God. He doesn't get to pick rules like that. But I do think it's a really smart thing. For so many people, when you when you work physically, you need to give the body rest and and use your mind as that excuse. And when you work mentally, like we do, we deal with people's emotions and we deal with people's problems. I think we need that physical thing to kind of give our mind the 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 chance to rest, but also our body the chance to express itself. So I, I love the fact that you're doing something physical here because yeah. guitar playing is physical. I love that quote, by the way. I think it's true. I, I it it works for me, truthfully. I feel like so often we just need to give the part of our ourselves that seems to get the brunt of damage that that rest.
1: Yeah, I. The fun part about that today, it actually actually just happened today. When you're a chaplain, you're, you know, you're trying to connect with all these people every day, you know, and you're, you have to find different topics and connecting points, so to speak, you know, and today I finally found someone that's a guitar player too. So we had a really good conversation and it's, and I actually knew halfway what I was talking about. So, um, you know, it's not pretty, I don't know everything, but it definitely definitely helped. And I just got my new, not new, not new guitar So my dad bought a 1960. It's like a guild hollow body, but it's a thin, it's really it's an old one that's really nice to play. It's got an old 60, 70 vibes to it. So I don't play it very often with everything I play. But uh, I just got that back. It's a big price tag, but they refurbished it a little bit and stuff. So I'm excited to have that. Well, I
0: look forward to hearing the Eric Nobrega
1: solo album. I, don't know. I keep worrying that Joe, one of our other chaps is going to ask me to play with him while he drums because he's a drummer. So that's not going to happen, though. I'm not that good yet. <laughs> Maybe someday.
0: Well, let's, let's jump into the subject at hand. We're talking about grief today, and as Eric's about to tell all of our listeners, uh, he has a, a, I don't, I hate to say a wealth here because grief is not something that you, you invest in and it pays a profit, but you have a lot of, of firsthand experience in this. So Eric, I would like to start truthfully by if you wouldn't mind just sharing with everyone your grief story, tell us how it is that you have experienced so much of this.
1: Well, yeah, I'm a little like I know that there are other people that have, you know, have tougher stories and probably even more knowledge than even I do. It just started young for me. I've been sitting with it for like over 40 years, almost 40 years now. So I don't know how much more information I have than other people, but I have definitely been processing it for a long time. And, um, it really stems from my, I've lost a lot of people, but I've lost, uh, my father was the key one back in, you know, 19, uh, 1982, February. I was just getting ready. It was just an innocent night. End of my spring break back when, I don't know how often kids, if kids still get weeks off, but I had the week off. We didn't do too much, but, uh, I was getting ready that night before and I got, came out of the bathroom and I saw my dad trying to go sit on his chair and he didn't make it, fell into my arms. And um, he was having a hard time breathing and his eyes rolled up in the back of his head. I still remember it very vividly when I close my eyes, even today. And um, long story short, he went out out on the stretcher and never came back. And as a sixth kid in sixth grade, I don't remember exactly how old I was. I probably could figure it out. But that, you know, fundamentally changed me. That was my big meaningful moment that's pretty much changed the course of my life forever, pretty much. You know, and I've had since then I've had more people but pass and of course friends and things like that. But that's the big one that I've been it will always hang over me.
0: Well and I I know you lost your mom and your brother also. Would would you mind sharing a little bit about those experiences?
1: My brother was in um my brother's was a tough one because he he needed a liver transplant. So I'm a lot younger than my brother and sister. So my brother enjoyed the sixties, let's put it that way. And he ended up contracting hepatitis and needed a liver transplant. And I remember I was a pastor at the time and I remember um, his is different because I prayed, we prayed every day, you know, I was, I mean, hours, even as a pastor, I don't think I had prayed that much before. And he did get the transplant the last second But what had happened in the time it took him to get the transplant, they had already checked him for cancer. But by the time he got the transplant, he had gotten cancer too and they didn't realize it. So he got the transplant, we thought everything was fine. And then I went to visit in the summer and I saw him and he looked like he was 90 years old. You know, he was a 50 year old man. And I knew something was up, but they weren't telling me, which is exactly what they did to me with my father And so that one was a shocker. And then I, when I finally found out how bad it was, I was going to visit him and he ended up passing before I uh, was able to go see him. So that one was a tough one. And then my mom, mom's was a little bit longer. My, uh, cancer runs in the male side of the family and on the female side, mental health. So she had some dementia, she came to live with us. She had some very paranoid things going on. So she had thought our daughters were trying to kill her is what it was basically was going on. And she went out uh, our second story window one day and broke her hip. And then she was never really quite the same. She made it to a nursing home for a few years and then had a stroke. And I would say that one was tougher than the other two because I was actually, she was living with me out in Wisconsin at the time. And that was a little tougher because, you know, I mean, I'm sure you lots of our listeners have been there. I was sitting by her bedside when she went and that's a long process and it's a hard one to watch, you know, so all different experiences. Yeah,
0: very much so. So with those experiences, what were some actions and some steps that that helped you to learn how to manage
1: your grief um so with my dad with the other two it's a little different but I'll start with my dad because this is the one I really um music <laughs> music's always been my outlet so I remember as a kid Rick Springfield. Anybody remember Rick Springfield? <laughs> <laughs> I remember Rick. Yeah. yeah. So like it was 1982. So it's about the time he's getting popular in the music scene. And I had the um, it's the second CD. Uh, Success hasn't spoiled me yet. I think it's called. And there was a hidden track on it. And it was called April 24, 1981. Well, April 24th, 1981 was when his dad died and he wrote a song about it. And I still remember the song. It's like a minute long. It's, it's a hidden track. And uh, he put, he, uh, it was like, I know all those nights you wondered about that step we always face alone. How far does the spirit travel on the journey? You must surely be near heaven. And it thrills me to the bone to know daddy knows the great unknown. And I listened to that song so many times after my dad died. It was like a year later. And uh, I remember that brought me a lot of comfort. <laughs> the second thing would be friends. I want to really say family. And I don't know if this is a Portuguese thing, because this is my family. The more I thought, of, think about it, we we deal with stuff on our own kind of thing. It's not like we're not there for one another, but we weren't one of those families that got together and... We're really supportive of one another. It was more, we kind of went to our own corners and dealt with it ourselves. And we're still like that in a lot of ways. I'm not saying it's the healthiest thing. So for me, friends were a big deal and, uh, all the nights we would stay up talking and it wasn't always about this. In fact, the good thing about that was the fact that I was, I could just be Eric. I wasn't the kid that just lost his dad, you know, <laughs> And so I always think, and I was telling you that one time that I think of that Skillet song, uh, it's called Those Nights, where uh, he talks about that. It's talking about staying up late talking and the glow of the TV light. You know, that's not exactly the words I should have looked them up. But I remember those nights with my friends got me through. And then the last thing would be faith, uh, my faith. And I'd say up to that point, my faith was kind of a joke in the sense that, I was living my parents' faith. You know, I'd go to church reluctantly. Um, We had a pastor who was so monotone. I was telling someone the other day, it was kind of funny because I would dream of like, imagine if you could fly like Superman. That's be my daydreams during church. I'm like, I want to fly like Superman. That'd be cool. Anything but listen to the message. But it's funny what loss of a life will wake, even at that age, will quickly wake you up to start and think about, faith issues and god and does heaven exist and all that stuff so and it did there was a few you know a few times i found some, a lot of comfort in that as well
0: well and what i love uh, about which actually there's a lot i love about what you just said eric but one of the things i love is you didn't describe anything that was just pure escapism and and i feel like quite often people dealing with grief just want the pain to stop not realizing that the pain is actually I mean, for lack of a better word, it's a souvenir from the love you have for the person that you've lost. That pain comes out of the fact that you loved this person. And I don't think, therefore, for most people, it should be the idea of escaping that pain, but rather learning how to manage that pain to where it does not destroy you. Instead, it becomes something that you can still... Not can, but you're still gonna feel the pain. There's still days where I'm sure you you miss your dad and you miss your mom and you miss your brother. I, I say that because you know my dad died five years ago. There's still days where I think, hey, there's a cool car my dad would like it. I need to send a photo to him. Not gonna right. happen. But it's a matter of managing that pain uh, to to where you're not just stuck in the middle of the eye of the storm where everything's just complete chaos, but you reach a point to where the pain is not as overwhelming all the time. And for you, that was music and friends slash family and faith. Those are really good ways of of helping you to be able to recognize the pain you're going through and and to be able to maneuver in the rest of life.
1: It's funny now that you say that, too. I think think it's because I was a kid, and I didn't know any better, honestly. I think as an adult, I think I've handled honestly, the other two a little differently. And it's probably, I think as we get older, I think we're expected to be a little stronger. And then you start feeling that weight of being the only male in the family, Like, because my brother went before my mom, so feeling like you wanted to be strong for her. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say I process my emotions very well with those two, mm-hmm. you know, because I think we're told, like you said, we're not allowed to, you know, even think about how many days off of work you get, right? you get a few days off work, you know, like you're going to get over it in 4 days, you know. Yeah. You're not going to get over it in 4 days. It's just not going to happen. So yep. but that's the expectation a lot of times, you know. Exactly.
0: Well and and I don't know that we ever get over it to use that phrase. But that's people true. expect you to.
1: And some even worse, sometimes we expect ourselves to. Right. And so, I'm not sure I ever even actually processed the other two very well, honestly. Mm. And I think I probably processed my dad, although it was by far the one, obviously, clearly the one I'm talking about. So, the one that's affected me more. I've also, as a kid, just didn't know what else to do, so I just, I just went through a process that pro- cried and you went know, all the range of emotions because I didn't know what to do, so I just did it. Well, and and Eric, if I'm hearing you right, it's almost like you were given permission.
0: To grieve properly when you were a kid and you didn't necessarily feel like you, you had the permission and the right to be able to grieve as well as an adult. I don't know if that's accurate or not. It's
1: but. different. I don't know if that makes sense, but it is. It does feel just a lot different.
0: Well, And the reason I'm bringing that up is I think one of the things that's very helpful for us is to to recognize that it's okay for us to fall apart a little bit right now. To, to recognize I'm going through a, t- a tough time period all I have to do at this point is tread water. That's it.
1: Right. And I think it's even more important to know that it's okay to let those emotions, you need to let them go. Like, I know that it's funny how you know that, but, and you can say that to a lot of people, but then when it comes to yourself, like you said, you don't want to feel it. So you shut it down.
0: Yep. But I think that also then means that one of the best things we can do for for those that we love that are grieving when we're not is we give them the permission to grieve, right? We we don't expect them to, when we say, how are you doing? We really mean it. And we don't expect them to just say it's okay. And then for us to just go back to life as normal, but we ask, how are you doing? And we expect them to be able to express that I'm not doing well. Or, or not even express anything at all, just
1: to be able to be. Yeah, uh, that's just uh, so many times, I don't know if you have it, I have people that will start crying in front of me, and I always have to reassure them, this is why I'm here. This is what you should let this out. Don't apologize to me for showing your emotions, you know, because let him out, got to deal with them.
0: Well, that leads directly into to the question. I It won't be our last question, but it, I'd like us to focus on it at the end. Since all of us eventually will deal with grief in a personal manner. I mean, so some of our listeners right now have not done so already, but they will eventually deal with grief in a personal manner. But we are also spectators to other people's grief. Uh, so, So many fear to talk about or to be around another person's grief for saying or doing the wrong thing. And I I talk with a lot of people quite often. they, They don't want to deal with anybody else's grief at that moment because they're scared they're going to do something that's so detrimental. It's going to hurt the other person. What were some helpful things and and also some not so helpful things that you experienced in your own grief that you could share with our listeners for advice for them when they're around someone else's
1: grief? I think the biggest thing I would say is, I think that we all when we don't like seeing people in pain, that's a good thing. We don't want to see them in pain. But we're always trying to figure out what's the thing that I can say to make something better. And it comes from a pure heart, it comes from a good place, you know, you're not trying to make things difficult. I think if we just kind of get it out there, there's nothing you're going to say to make them feel better. So it's better to not even try because the reality is then you start because it's such an uncomfortable, even for me, like, even for me, like I would be the first, I was just thinking today, you know, I have a funeral and next week and I, and I really haven't done many funerals as fast because I'm always dealing with my own emotions too, you know, when I'm in the, because of my experiences. So a lot of times we tend to go to cliche type things that do not help, like, oh, they're in a better place, or at least they're not in any pain. And that all may be true. And that's coming from a good place, but it's not very helpful at the moment. And maybe you can hear that. Maybe I could hear that 20 years later, but I'm not good two days after the fact, you know. So I'm going to go to the Jewish ritual you and I was talking. You know the name, but I, I yeah, it's, go for It's it. Sitting Shiva. Sitting Shiva. So the idea that in that morning period to just be a presence rather than feeling like you have to say something just to mm-hmm. show up, bearing food, bring comfort when words are no good, you know, and that's just being there. Those are the people I remember. I remember the people that brought meals. I remember the people that would come and sit with my mom for a while, you know, and so that's what I would do. I don't know if you want to go into
0: more well, you know. just uh, the thing that we both love on Sitting Shiva is it's the mindset of your presence is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I find it very freeing when you're worried about what if I say the wrong thing? Well, if you're not saying anything at all, you cannot say the wrong thing at that point. Exactly, And it means we have to be comfortable being in uncomfortableness, which is a difficult thing to do. But it means that we go there with the mindset of my goal is to be here. Now that is a really difficult thing to do. We sometimes can have our, our physical presence there with our minds just completely somewhere else. This is, I am going to be here. And I may say something or I may not, but that's entirely dependent upon what is the need of the person that I'm there with. It's just this mindset of, I'm going to sit with this person in the midst of their pain. And what I find happens quite often is is people want to talk about things, but it just takes longer for us to process what we're talking about. So if I just sit there with, with someone in their grief, they're eventually going to, to lead me in the path that I need to go down with them. They're going to start talking, and then they're going to pause. And what would normally happen in a conversation is I would then add my part. And what I have to do when I'm sitting, Shiva, is to not say anything and just wait. I actually, we've talked about this before, I force myself to count to a certain number that I think is going to be helpful. And I will just slowly count to 20 or 30 before I ever consider saying anything at all. But it's, again, this mindset of my physical presence is the most important thing. So I'm just going to be there. I'm not going to be doing any of those things that we quite often do where we, we kind of verbally try to exit the room right. so you seem so busy i don't want to bother you which is i want to get out of here <laughs> i want to leave that's true that right is a now. True <laughs> i'm uncomfortable don't want to be here we don't say those things instead we just sit there and if they want us to leave then we allow them to tell us to leave at that point and if they
1: don't tell us to leave we just kind of stay with them I mean, even in normal conversation, nothing's happened. It's tough for there to be dead space. Yes, we'll struggle with it anyways. Never mind when you're in a highly emotional state, and it's a lot of times people feel like and maybe even in the sense of our roles that we find ourselves in are we think like they're looking for answers from us, like yes. they're but we have to like. Sometimes we have to let the person guide the conversation and yeah. guide when the words are going to be spoken, guide the whole thing, you know, whatever's best for them because they know what they need at the time. So,
0: well, and the beauty is when you realize I'm not smart enough to be able to answer any of these questions, you know, why did dad die? I don't know. I, well, I don't, I don't know. have the slightest idea. Uh, it seems like a, a terrible thing to me also. And in addition to that, I'm convinced truthfully that even if we knew why, it wouldn't help. Oh. When my dad died five years ago, if somebody told me, oh, it happened for this reason, I still would have thought, well, couldn't we have done it another way? All I know is my dad's still not here. Right. When your dad died, you know, if, I'm sure if somebody told you if your dad dies, um, all of this population here will survive. You would have thought, yeah, but I'm still the one losing my dad. I don't know that why ever answers the question for us. But what I do believe answers the question for us is knowing that there's someone else there with us.
1: For sure. I when my brother died, the only thing I don't know about you, but when I was a pastor, the hardest question is why does God let things bad things happen to people? And I get the question. I don't I get the all the time, you know. So I'm like constantly processing that that question. But uh it always helped. Here I go, I'm, I'm quoting music again, but I can't remember the name of the song because it's not Third time ahead. this podcast. I know. Uh, Stephen, Stephen Curtis Chapman, his Speechless album, had a song where it talks about kind of looking at it like it's a puzzle. You know, and you get... We don't see the whole thing. We just see certain pieces being put together, you know, but God sees the whole thing. So we don't know, but that still doesn't make you feel any better. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's still... It brings some sense to something that's not that you can't make sense of. Yeah. And uh,
0: any other specific recommendations you have for somebody on, hey, these are things that you can do that will help you and help the person you're sitting with in their grief.
1: Well, the funny thing about this is kind of I kind of knew it was coming. So I have a few people that I talked to obviously on a resident. One of my some of my associates that I know have had some recent and. Um, you know, they've had their own experiences with death. And I asked them if you could say one thing to people, you know, what would you tell people? And uh, I had got a couple of good ones. The first one was empathy. We kind of talked about it, understanding what the other person's going through. It's kind of like the work thing, you know, because a lot of these people are at work when I'm talking to them. It's like understanding that my experience with my experience of death and depending on who it is and how close I was and how it all happened, may be different than yours. Like that four day gap isn't going to work for everybody. It's probably not going to work for anybody if we're being completely honest with each other, but we all process pain differently and to have a little bit of empathy and just to show the person love and support, you know? Mm. And I thought that was great. And then the second one was just, talk about it bluntly almost it's almost goes back to my friend time like talk to me like i'm just regular like don't for some reason we we get ourselves in this different sphere of talking (laughs) like this weird place where we're saying things that we normally wouldn't i think people want to still be treated somewhat normal you Mm -hmm. know just being real direct so that was another thing i thought that's really true that's Mm a really good idea because it's but I think the reason my friends helped so much is, like I said, I, I wasn't the kid that just lost his dad. I was just Eric to them. Mm-hmm. I happened to have lost my dad, and we certainly did talk about it, too. But it wasn't like there was a spotlight on me and I was, you know, sweating heavily because it was hot. You know, it's like, hey, we're just talking. You know, mm-hmm. we're just friends. So those are two more, I would say. I think those are, are really
0: good. Uh, I like for uh, to encourage people to come with a story if they can. And it sounds the opposite of saying you don't have to say anything, but I think it's nice to come there with a story of the the one who has been lost Uh, and a fun story, if possible. And I don't mean by that necessarily laughter, but that's always a nice thing. I remember when my dad passed away, loving hearing his friends talk about the things they loved about him and they weren't always great. My dad was one of the cheapest individuals you'd ever meet in your life. And his friends, I mean. At, at his funeral, I think three different people got up and talked about how cheap my father was. I'm, as you can see right now, I'm still smiling during it because right. my father was cheap. I think it's good to go in with, with your guns loaded, for lack of a better phrase, where you go in with a story of, if I have the chance, I'm going to tell this story about the person you loved and why I loved them too.
1: It seems counterintuitive too, but humor's okay in there at, you know, in, in certain ways, you know, cause, uh, laughter, I do think kind of counterbalances. It's like when you're cooking, you know, when you have too much salt, you counterbalance with sugar or something like that. You know, it's, it does humor in the right way, done the right way will, will help as well. Yes.
0: So. Well, and, and not even humor, that's just escapism, but humor that's in the midst of it. There's a, uh, group of pastors that I listened to, one of which lost both of their parents in a car accident, uh, wow. right, right after Christmas. So right before the new year. And she was talking about it and she's talking about how uncomfortable people feel when they find out I mean, she's early forties and just lost both her parents. And when people find it, find out about that, how uncomfortable people suddenly are and She'll joke every now and then while they're talking together about losing both her parents. And she is not escaping from that pain. It's just that counterbalance right there is, that you mentioned. It's the little bit of sugar because
1: you added too much salt.
0: It, it's it's a good thing. Humor is a part of our lives.
1: Uh, there's a guy, Davidson or something? He's on Saturday Night Live. I'm actually Pete not Davidson. really... I'm not even really that big of a fan of his, but his dad passed away in 9-11. He jokes about that all the time. All the time. Like, I hear it all the time. So it is funny how humor can sometimes, that's maybe how he deals with it, you know?
0: Yeah. I think, and I think kind of where we're going on this is there's not a right or wrong. No. The right or wrong, if anything, is to just permanently try to escape Right. even escaping for a little while is not a bad thing okay there there are moments like I'm being overwhelmed I need to escape but if that's all you ever do well then you're you're divorcing yourself from from a very important thing that's happened to you and that's not a good thing but there are moments where you may need uh, need humor to stop the pain for a little bit there may be moments where you just need to lean into that. I actually think one of the things in addition to that, one of the things I think can be helpful for us when we're dealing with other people's pain, we have a tendency to to want to do everything for them. I'll cook for you. I'll clean for you. Let me go wash your car. Actually, if anybody wants to wash my car right now, I'm okay with that. Seriously. But one of the things I think is good is, and you talked about this, talking with friends where you could just be normal, Eric, rather than the kid who just lost his dad. There's something powerful about us allowing someone else to do something for us. Can I get a drink for you? Yes, you can. At that moment, they're no longer the victim who has to be taken care of, but instead they're the, the person who gets to host someone who's come over to their house to be pleasant. Again, it comes back. There's there's not a right or wrong thing we do here. Sometimes we serve. Sometimes we are served. It's when we get in the cycle of just trying to escape the grief rather than managing it, and recognizing it's a part of our life. Absolutely.
1: I totally agree. Well, Eric,
0: anything else you want to add for our our listeners, both of them?
1: (laughs) No, I'm good. I think I've opened myself up a little bit there.
0: (laughs) Well, and and I know this wasn't completely your story, but I do feel like anytime we're dealing with death, it's important for us to hit that there are times where people decide that their pain is so great that they want to stop it and end their own life. And if you or someone you know is experiencing that, I think it's important that you know that there are a lot of people who care for you and a lot of people would want to listen. Uh, you can contact us as your, as your chaplains anytime, but there's also the national National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Again, that's one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. I just think it's important for people to know that there is always help, and you are not alone.
1: So, this will end our third episode of Chaplain Can We Talk. We hope you enjoyed it and you found some helpful information within it.
0: And if there was a subject that you would like us to discuss, please let us know. We have 26 chaplains in our region, and Eric and I can almost guarantee you that if you ask a question, we will have a chaplain in our group who's very well versed on the subject, if not an expert. And we know experts that we can find too. Our contact information is in the show notes, as well as I'll put in there all three songs that Eric referenced today so that you can listen to those and see how they helped him. You can email us or you can reach out to us through Twitter. Our Twitter handle is ChaplinCWT, CWT, which stands for Can We Talk? So that's Chaplin Can We Talk? But the Can We Talk is abbreviated.
1: So for now, thanks for joining us for our third episode of the podcast. And remember that you are cared for. <laughs>